This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. books. I thought I'd take some light reading in case I got bored. Welcome everyone to another episode of Literary Treks, our dedicated books and comic show. I am one of the hosts, Matthew Rushing. And with me, as he is every week, is Dan Gunther. Dan, how are you doing this week? Matthew, I'm smelling profit on the wind over here. <laughs> whoa, whoa. What is that? Does that smell like teen spirit? Ooh, uh, something like that, but maybe a little bit more latinum-y. What does latinum smell like? I mean, it's just that weird goo inside of the gold press. <laughs> and so, like, what what do you think latinum smells like? Well, to be fair, the latinum that I got came from Morn, so I don't know uh, if He's that... probably been sitting on it for a while. Yeah, I don't know if it smells the way it's supposed to. Uh... uh. I think he regurgitated it first. It was it was kind of weird. Oh, that's, that's kind of disgusting, Dan. Yeah, but I mean, it's worth so much. That's that's I couldn't very say no. true. <laughs> oh God, well, I may, maybe we should stop talking about this. I think we're going to scare people away from this show. <laughs> um, goodness. Well, uh, we're glad to be here for uh, literary treks, and um, yeah, let's let's jump into news before we go down a rabbit hole we don't want to be in. Uh, where uh, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> we have a new Star Trek ongoing to talk about, and it's number 49. It's wrapping up the Deity duology. And uh, Dan, tell me what you thought about this one. This is uh, an interesting... I don't know. What did you think? Uh, well, Matthew, I mean, I don't know. There's... It's kind of no really easy way to say. I was I was pretty let down by the end of this story. Uh, it really felt like it wrapped up really quickly, and it almost felt like they had a bunch of storylines and they didn't really seem to know where to go with them. I'm not sure what this story was trying to say, and I don't know if the writers really did either. I'm I'm really sad to say that though. I mean, you said it on the other side of the page. Are you sure that they just didn't have Riker's thoughts in their head saying a couple of photon torpedoes should do it? Yeah, I mean, that's not how Star Trek stories are usually solved. But yeah, in this case, you know, we have this huge menacing alien ship that this planet worships as a god and uh, the Enterprise takes care of it with a couple of photon torpedoes. Uh, okay, that was a little anti On to the next planet! Perfect. Done and yeah. done, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like a gold key comic solution almost, you know? A little like, bit, yeah. I just, it, I felt like this is just really one of the few that it, it felt lazy. You know, I mean, Kirk didn't even talk a robot god to death or, <laughs> you know, anything like that. It was just the worst version of, oh, the planet worship something that's really just technology that looks like magic to it and you know it just it was really and they didn't even discover anything about this deity quote unquote think think that um you know they were talking about so i don't nothing here not even the sulu part of him you know being in command of the mission really pays off at all 
Yeah, there's just it. There, like I said, there's a bunch of stuff that they set up, and I'm I'm not seeing any of the payoff here. It's it's really strange. Uh, you know, last last episode or the last issue we talked about, we uh, discussed the kind of similarities between this and the TNG season one episode Justice, and. You know, I <laughs> never thought I'd hear myself say it, but I think that episode did it a little better. I mean, we had Picard giving an impassioned speech at the end about the concept of justice and this God being convinced to benevolently let them go on their way. And, and no, this version, we'll just fire at it with some torpedoes. And next well, problem. <laughs> why try to understand? Well, you can just blow up, Dan. I mean, that exactly. might be... Is that the lesson here? Is that what Star <laughs> Trek's telling us? Apparently. Shoot first, and then you don't have to even ask any questions. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's not the message you grew up getting from Star Trek? Because, yeah, no. <laughs> if I was reading the Gold Key comics, yes. There you go, yeah. But yeah. not this... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I have to say this is... Um, probably the biggest fail that I've seen in the ongoing comics so far, where I was mm-hmm. just really disappointed thoroughly with how this wraps up. And yeah. it had nothing to do with the fact that they're setting up the world's worst straw man for a religious argument here. It's That's not even the point. It's just this story doesn't go anywhere mm-hmm. whatsoever other than, like we said, a couple four Fortum torpedoes ought to do it. Yeah, and I, and I mean we should really stress that this is this is a rare miss by these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, these stories Very have been so. really good, and I've been really impressed. Uh, yeah, this is just a really weird uh, fail, like you said, on their part. It just it didn't speak to me. It didn't make much sense to me, and uh, I'm really not sure what they were trying to say with it. So, yeah, I'm I'm exactly with you, Dan. Um, I I just don't think that. Maybe this story had been as thoroughly thought through, and the storylines didn't seem to be. And the only thing that I can think is that somehow, maybe this will come into play later on. You know, those aliens, another ship comes looking for what happened, you know, and and then the repercussions happen. Okay, that would make sense. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make this a sufficiently entertaining story whatsoever. Yeah, it it still leaves this story lacking. You know, you you have especially in comics, each issue has to be worth its own weight for you to actually want to buy it. You know, mm-hmm. um, when you're talking about two ninety nine, three ninety nine, four ninety nine for a comic, you know, yeah. you don't want to buy an issue or a duology and just be like, eh, by the end of it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, every comic that someone picks up might be the first one they pick up. So you you know, you want a self contained story or at least a you know, a story that's that's going to grab you and, and make you interested to read more. And I don't feel like this would be a good one. If if this were the only Star Trek uh, comic you picked up, I think you'd be really regretting that choice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. I, I completely agree with you. So I don't think that, like you said, this is not par for the course for these guys. Each one of these comics on a whole, I would say the Star Trek Ongoing has been a pretty strong line. I've enjoyed a lot of it. And gosh, we've covered every single issue here on Literary Treks. You can check them out, what we've talked about. But it's just an unfortunate miss here. And and that's okay. It happens in comics. I just probably would avoid this entire duology and just move on to the next one. Because I don't know how much it's really going to have to play you know, in, in anything else. And if it is referred to back some other time, heck, just, you know, it, it, maybe you're waiting for the trade paperbacks and this is just included, you know? So uh, don't worry about it if you miss this one. Hopefully we're crossing our fingers that the next uh, issue will be better. So, And there's some great stuff coming out from them. They're going to do the uh, Starfleet Academy starting in December. So we got some great things coming out from IDW with the comics that I'm very excited to get to. So Yeah, really looking forward to that. Yeah, so let nobody hear us say that we're we're trying to trash the the comics at all. We we love the comics. This one just doesn't quite work for us, and that's okay. Maybe some other listeners really liked it, and we'd love to hear from you. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, go to trek.fm slash contact. Send us uh, your feedback on the deity issues and let us know what you think. 
Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us as well, you can do that on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. Uh, hit us up there talking about this issue. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Of course, we're on Twitter at TrekFM, and we're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM, and then, of course, the Goodreads group. You can join us there and talk about things. You can also see what we're talking about, what we're going to be reading next, so check that out, the Goodreads group. It's a great place to be. And, of course, if you need links to any of that, go to our show page at trek.fm. Each and every one of our shows has a show page, and if we have links like this, they're right there for you. So you don't have to go searching all over the place. We'll take you right there. And then, of course, you can find all the shows at trek.fm on itunes.com slash trek.fm. We are a feature provider there on iTunes. We love bringing you the best content from all over Star Trek from every single series, different perspectives, behind the scenes. We've got books and comics here on Literary Treks and the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek on commentary Trek stars. So, I mean, we really do have you covered. And then, of course, we've got the 602 Club talking about everything else geeky that you like. So check us out there. Hey, you know what, though? If you're not on iTunes, that is okay. If you're not an Apple user, don't worry about it because we do have you covered. We're on TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And on the website at trek.fm, you can stream and download the MP3 file and grab the RSS link as well. And make sure to check us out there. We really appreciate it. Well, Dan, we are continuing our conversations about the Worlds of Deep Space Nine book. We're at the very last one, and the two books here revolve around the Ferengi and the Dominion. And the first book that we are going to be talking about is the book on Ferenginar called Satisfaction is Not Guaranteed. Let's hope that that doesn't refer to the actual book <laughs> um, and that's meaning something else. So, But this one is, you know, is really interesting because you really pointed something out here, I think even just on the outline. This is the Ferengi episode of the Deep Space Nine relaunch. We're going to focus solely on the Ferengi, what's going on with them. And, you know, Deep Space Nine would do that periodically. And that's something that, you know, is... I never had a problem with most of the Ferengi episodes. How did you kind of feel about... Before we even get into the book, how did you feel about the Ferengi episodes for Deep Space Nine? Did you get to that episode and then think, Oh, it's a Ferengi episode. Or were you like, oh man, I can't see, wait to see what craziness happens? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the Ferengi episodes, I feel like they promote a lot of uh, heated arguments on both sides among Deep Space Nine fans. Uh, for the most part, I generally enjoyed them. I kind of almost took them as little mid-season breaks from you know, the the high drama and the high stakes stuff going on. And I mean, every once in a while you get a gem. I mean, uh, I think Bar Association, uh, where Rom starts a labor union, was just an excellent episode all around. And mm-hmm. I have to say my absolute favorite Ferengi episode was season six is The Magnificent Ferengi. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I, a good one. Yeah, I just, I can rewatch that one over and over again. Um, some people absolutely despise the Ferengi episodes and, you know, some of the humor is a bit over the top and I can't really blame people for having that opinion. You know, for every magnificent Ferengi, there's a profit and lace (laughs) or let's, let's not talk about profit and lace. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There are some bad ones. (laughs) Um, you know. So I, I feel like sometimes they were used to explore topics that you couldn't otherwise do. And sometimes it was done well. I mean, you know, labor unions as a topic is not something that's easily done in Star Trek. But hey, you can bring the Ferengi in and do a story about that. Uh, and then sometimes they're done very poorly and, and without a lot of tact and, and without a lot of sensitivity. Once again, Prophet and Lace, I'm looking at you. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about them, but generally I found them an enjoyable respite from the, you know, high drama of the Dominion War and things like that. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I really think that uh, the Deep Space Nine episodes that starred the Ferengi, I mean, Little Green Men is is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It's here, a hilarious here. episode, and it's a lot of fun because it it's 
doing that great thing where it's harkening back to all those wonderful 1950s-style serial episodes with, you know, uh, an alien species and all that. It, it's it's really funny. Mm. I agree with you, too, that I think there are a couple of Ferengi episodes where they do take the humor in a way that, like, it, again, Prophet and Lace and, and a couple others, it's just, it doesn't work. Mm. I think a part of the things with the Ferengi, though, too, and, and I, I would love the listeners to tell me if they think I'm completely off base. I think a lot of people don't like the Ferengi because they remind us of us. I think you're, you're definitely onto something there. <laughs> you know, in, in a lot of ways, they're a lot closer to where we are than we are to, say, a Cisco or a Dax mm-hmm. or anything like that. And I think that's a frustrating thing to see portrayed on screen that, you know, what we want to be is the Federation, but what we're more like is the Ferengi. Mm-hmm. I, I th- I'm remembering that wonderful scene. I think it's in the in the episode, The Jem'Hadar, where Quark is talking to Sisko about, you know, why Sisko doesn't like him. And he says, you know, yeah, we Ferengi have these things that you look down upon us for, but you know, we never had slavery and we never had nuclear war. You know, you think that you're better than us? We were never as bad as you were. And I was like, wow, I never thought they would take the Ferengi there. But yeah, it just goes to show you that like, you know, you can explore some of these issues with the Ferengi and really hold a mirror up to us and say like, you know, are we this bad? Well, maybe sometimes we've actually been worse. And although you have basically been enslaving the entire half of your population with the female side of your population by making them not be able to wear clothes or earn profit or anything else so i don't necessarily think (laughs) that's true um yeah obviously that's a certain point of view because the ferengi would see it differently for their values (laughs) but um again what's really interesting when we're talking about the ferengi we see it as abhorrent and it needs to change. But what I find so interesting and it always strikes me as funny about Star Trek is that if you really hold to the tenets of Star Trek, can you really say that what the Ferengi doing are wrong? Like that's what they believe. That's what their culture does. And isn't well, that what that's we're what told? Half on... of their culture believes. Well, right. <laughs> but I mean, um, you know, who are we to judge another culture? I mean, that's what we kind of get told all the time in the world around us even now. So it seems strange to me that when we put ourselves out in space, like we think we're judge and jury of them too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just a really interesting question. I think something that I always have to think about, I'm like, okay, I know why I'm judging them. Yeah. If there's, there's no standard throughout the universe for all people that need to hold to like, can I really say that they're wrong? Like, I don't know. That's a, What do you think, Dan? Well, that's one of the things I actually really liked the whole Ferengi thing for was, you know, the Federation never did come in and, and impose anything on the Ferengi. All the change that happened on Ferenginar happened from within. And it was, you know, their own people who, you know, basically through Ishka whispering in Zek's ear, managed to kind of start reformations and get the ball rolling. And I mean, even in season two, we had that one female Ferengi uh, who posed as a waiter on on Quark's staff, you know, kind of showing the plight of the female Ferengi. And, uh, you know, they really did turn it around. And I mean, you know, some would say that's pretty unrealistic over the course of four years, this fundamental change in Ferengi society. But uh, I I thought it was really great that, yeah, again, it wasn't, you know, Kirk taking the Enterprise there and saying, all of your beliefs are wrong. It was, you know, this society, you know, making the changes themselves and coming to that maturity themselves. And I always thought that was kind of an overlooked aspect of that whole Ferengi story that I thought was pretty well done. I think one of the beautiful things you just described there is that and I think Kira does this with the way that she views her faith. I think that the best Federation officers do when it comes to the morals, meanings, and messages, to, to quote um, Mission Log, uh, of how they portray themselves. And the idea, basically, they just live their life as a good witness, you know, to use you know, some spiritual terms. 
And I, I think that's kind of what happens is that the Federation rubs off on the Ferengi in that way. Um, it doesn't tell them it needs to change because they're trading partners and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the Ferengi are not part of the Federation because they wouldn't be able to uphold certain values that the Federation has. But uh, the Federation being the next door neighbor is a you know they're a good witness mm-hmm. of a different style of life and that seems to rub off on everyone <laughs> in the universe honestly <laughs> that's kind of the what the meaning you get when you watch star trek is that our way slowly seeps its way into other people's you know existence and <laughs> but i think it's a maybe a bit of a problematic message in and of itself yeah, but yeah you know. I, it could be but at the same time you know I think it's an interesting one when it's done this way, where you mm-hmm. like you're talking about, where you're not forcing anybody to change. You're just living your life, and and it rubs off on somebody, and they were like, "Hmm, I can see it." You know, uh, as Quirk said, the Federation is insidious. They're like root beer. They're all bubbly <laughs> and happy, and you know that that has an effect. You and know, after a while, around, you start to like it. Yeah, when you're around <laughs> people that love life and live in a compassionate way towards other people is kind of hard not to be drawn to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think that's what I guess they're trying to say. But yeah, there's some really interesting issues when you start talking about the actual life in the 24th century. And it's what mm-hmm. made Deep Space Nine so interesting is we talked about that. What's it really like to live in a quote unquote utopia with all this around you? How do you enter? How do you deal with that? So I think it's really mm-hmm. fascinating. Um yeah. And with, with the values, when the values that rub off are equality for all your citizens and, you know, the right of half your population to wear warm clothing, I guess it's not a bad thing, too. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think that's, <laughs> that, that's an excellent thing. <laughs> it's less problematic when you realize that's the stuff that's being communicated. Oh, okay, yeah. Right. We talked about, you know, that this is the Ferengi episode of the DS9 relaunch. So how does it work for you as that, you know, if, if we're going in with that being the, the, the basis, okay, we're expecting it to be like a Ferengi episode. We're not expecting some of the monumental changes that we've gotten in some of the other books, like, uh, you know, even Bajor with the, the revelation about, um, and the story around Cisco, both Cisco's, you know, and, mm. uh, then of course the, the wonderful, amazing story, we got a trill, Eh, the okay story on Andor. Um, how do you feel about? Oh, of course. And how could I forget the Cardassian story? I mean, oh, of course. That that it's the pinnacle of all of them so far. Eh? We you know um, that we've got to. So, how do you feel this one kind of fits in this world of Deep Space Nine series? Well. You know, one thing that uh, was touted about these books was, you know, like in the tradition of Spock's world, we're going to really explore these planets and these cultures. And, uh, you know, on that basis, I think this story works very, very well. Um, We get a closer look at Ferenginar than we ever got before. I'm thinking of some of the scenes where, you know, your average Ferengi citizen is, you know, riding public transportation to get somewhere in these conversations that we get about day-to-day Ferengi life, uh, which I thought was really good. And it really treated Ferengi society in a much more serious way than I expected it to. I mean, there's there's a lot of the trademark buffoonery and, and you know, funny gags and stuff that go on that we get in the usual Ferengi episodes. But there was this kind of undercurrent of political change and serious repercussions for the characters. And, uh, you know, I, I really like it when a story can take itself seriously. And me as a reader, I buy into it if the author and the characters in the story buy into the seriousness of it. And, you know, while, yeah, they're Ferengi and they're overly concerned with profit and they're being a bit silly and ridiculous and over the top you can tell they still really care about their planet and they care about their society. And I really liked that. I really thought that came across really well. So, you know, I became invested in this story probably a lot more than I expected that I would be. I definitely think that this completely and utterly fulfills the idea of being the Ferengi episode. And Mm. it's a good Ferengi episode, a very good one. Like you said, it, 
is giving you this background for Ferengi and what their planet is really like. You know, we've only been there a couple of times on the show and we've barely really ever seen it. I mean, even all the names that they were given rain, you know, because they have so many different names for rain. It was fantastic. You know, this fact that you are kind of apparently always wet there. I mean, you're just constantly never dry on mm-hmm. Ferengador, which sounds horrible uh, to us. And so reminds me of the summer in Korea. It's just, it's always raining, and when it's not raining, it's like 95% humidity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it just, it sounds just horrendous. I mean, I lived in, in Texas where the humidity can be terrible, and I've been to Houston a few times, and the humidity is awful there, <laughs> especially in the summer, but nothing compared to what they're describing here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's like they live in the middle of a rainforest, um, so... Uh, just sound horrible but yeah this is it really is i think it's a great ferengi episode and i really like the way it comes together or as quirk does quirk calls in the a team and i love it when a plan comes together (laughs) so because there's a there's a couple of uh well there's a casablanca reference obviously there's an a team reference uh i love the fact that they bring back the bounty hunter yeah. Ferengi bounty hunter from Lek. The the yeah. one Ferengi oh, who isn't so interested good. in profit, just you know, wants to hone his assassination skills. Yeah. I love I that mean, guy. Nothing scarier than a Ferengi bounty hunter. So <laughs> I just yeah. Oh gosh. Well, what did you think about the way they do the story and the fact that they have these outsiders? Um, you know, Lita and specifically Ro are the people kind of on definitely on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. What did you end up kind of thinking about the way that they approach the Ferengi culture and kind of their observations on it? You know, the way Odo or Spock or whatever, they always talk about, you know, human culture. Mm-hmm. But the way these characters are able to then to kind of speak into the idea of Ferenginar. Well, I really liked that they had an outsider perspective here like every time we go to Ferenginar in the series it's just you know Quark and Rom and and Brunt and the usual gang but yeah here we get Ro going along with them and I mean even just that one part where they first arrive at you know the spaceport on Ferenginar and like from her perspective the the advertisements everywhere and the humidity and all the stuff. Uh, I just, the constant clinking of slips of latinum <laughs> going into little, you know, receptacles. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, I thought was, you know, just this nice, really visceral way to get you into the story. And I, I yeah, I found myself really looking at it through Rose eyes and encountering it for the first time. And, you know, what's that really like, uh, so yeah, I, I found, you know, in a lot of these worlds of Deep Space Nine stories, we get that outsider perspective, right? I mean, in the Andor, Andor story, we got Prin learning about the Andorian culture, and Trill, we had Bashir. And in this one, yeah, we get Ro and someone who's been there for a while, but is still considered an outsider by a lot of Ferengi, Lita. And we see her and Ro get together a couple times and talk about you know, what this Ferenginar is really like and and all that kind of stuff. And I I really appreciated that we got that perspective. It was really interesting because I've never bought Roe and Quark's relationship, even the way that it's described here where she talks about, you know, Quark has this soft side to him and everything. I I just don't (laughs) see it. Like, I I really don't. Um, And I'm really glad, at least at the end of this book, spoiler alert, they're just going to be friends. Uh, because that's really what makes sense to me. I can see them actually being good friends. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there would be anything really romantic between Roe and Quark, is nev- <laughs> I've never seen that, you know? Um, and I liked that was dealt with here really honestly. I thought it was most interesting is that conversation between Lita and Roe about how do you deal with living here and, and the change and everything. And... and um, you know, I thought the the answer that Lita had was was really, it was really cool. It was like I've never been happier in my life, I and mean, it's not because about where I live. It's because I'm who who I'm living with and who I love. You know, and what a great answer. Um, and 
I didn't even find it to be stereotypical. Oh, I love my husband, so I'm going to be where his job is. No, Lita is not that kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and what she was saying sounded and felt so sincere in the way that it was written that I completely bought that, yeah, she had no problem with being on Ferenginar. She misses her friends. You know, she misses her planet, but she's where she's choosing to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really, I, I thought that was a really cool thing to see. And I also thought it was nice that those two characters, they slowly find a way to to have some begrudging respect a little bit for the Ferengi. Um, mm-hmm. Because they're, they're, they are striving, kind of what we do on on. on the show here or what i do in the 602 club to try and find the good first mm-hmm. and and really f- see that so I, I, again at that outsider perspective here was was really interesting because it would be easy to just malign the ferengi and neither of those characters were doing that and i think that helps the reader right yeah i feel like you know taking ferenginar and its issues and its politics and the characters themselves and laughing at them is really the easy route to go because you know a lot of it is laughable they're greedy obsessed with profit uh always up to these weird hijinks and and it's really easy to not take them seriously and i think the story took a much braver route by really looking at it from their perspective and really showing that this is an important story to a lot of characters, like to Quark and Rom, these people that we've lived with for seven years of Deep Space Nine. They're not just the silly Ferengi. They're actual well-rounded characters that uh, really deserve to be looked at in a serious manner. What did you think about the way that, you know, Quark here in... And especially in Deep Space Nine, it's it's been a slow burn of Quark slowly becoming a more reputable type character. I mean, he's still, even here at the end of this book, Roe, you know, it's like, look, you're who you are. You, you're not going to be a one-woman guy. You know, you're always going to be chasing profit. But there is something about you that is less, quote-unquote, true Ferengi, you know, uh, and more like the 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 rom type Ferengi, like he's really not trying to, to hurt people maliciously to earn profit. He, mm-hmm. you know, what did you think about the way that they kind of continue? I guess the process of rounding out Quark's character. Well, yeah, definitely. I I've always really liked. Well, I can't say always, but you know, I've I've really come to love Quark's character, and I think in a lot of ways he's one of the real hearts of Deep Space Nine. Uh, you know, early on they did the episode Profit and Loss, I think it was, and he really was the the romantic Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart character in that story and just totally didn't expect that and really came to love the character. And I do have to admit, reading the back cover blurb to this story, I was worried that he was actually going to be taking part in this coup to overthrow Rom uh, because, you know, he really wants the old Ferenginar back and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I'm really glad that the story, spoiler alert, didn't take that route because I thought that would have been really damaging to his character. Uh, so I felt this story really respected his character and it really was building on everything that's been work that he's been working towards and everything that his character has been doing in the last, you know, seven years of deep space nine plus the relaunch. So I I thought it was a very good direction for his character to go. And I ended up grinning by the end of the story again, because, you know, Quark's just a really great character. And I thought this story really did, you know, service his character very well. Yeah. I'm, complete agreement with you there and what i love is that the story allowed quirk to think about being a part of the coup Mm -hmm. you know because that is what quirk would do he would have to weigh those options and you know he has that whole speech about how rom would never hurt anyone and and that's you know that's would be against rom's character and even though he doesn't completely understand it he loves his brother you know all these things, uh, this really is a, a great culmination, I think, of all the things that we did see with Quark's character in, in this series. And 
it was nice to see that he is progressing. But yeah, in the end, I got to ask you, how do you feel about kind of the way that Roe almost tells him, don't change too much? <laughs> well, I mean, I I almost feel like that was, again, Roe kind of representing the audience a little bit too. Yeah. Because, you know, Quark should always be Quark. I mean, he's going to be a Ferengi no matter what. And yeah, if you fundamentally change the core of his character, he's not going to be the same character. So, you know, going forward from here, we get, you know, the relaunch stories, like where he's trying to get the next Vulcan love slave episode in, um, that, uh, the Ferengi ebook that came out earlier, uh, yes. earlier this year, for example. And I mean, you know, you can't do stories like that if you fundamentally change Quark into this, you know, Federation cheering, root beer drinking <laughs> mascot you know uh he's still got to be Ferengi and you know I I don't want him to change too much either you know he's really sweet and he's a nice guy but you know he's still going to be after that next deal he's still going to be looking out for profit uh he wouldn't be a Ferengi otherwise and I think that is an interesting thing I mean you really can't change him completely or else you just you don't have that character and you can't continue to do those type of stories and I think that is really interesting and that brings me to the the last thing I really want to talk about is the idea of cleaning up the Ferengi you know this story really is about that idea of that we're I don't know if this is going to sound bad but we're slowly sanitizing the Ferengi, you know, we're making them more, a little bit more like the Federation, a little bit less like the misogynistic dinosaurs that they kind of have been. Mm. And I don't know, what did you think about that part of the story? Because it is really kind of, it keeps getting hit quite a bit in this story. And does it that work for you or? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was is interesting. Like, I, I like that they're evolving and I guess evolving, meaning becoming more like the Federation. I don't know if that's the best term there, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think back to in Deep Space Nine when they first allowed uh, the Ferengi females to wear clothing and the kind of logical progression that the one character was talking about, like, if Frangi women can wear clothing, then they can have pockets and then they're going to want right. to fill those pockets with things. Then they're going to want to buy things. So we're going to have to let them earn money. And I just, I just love that. It was that one little giving them clothing kind of set off that whole thing. Well, this right. is going to have to happen now. It's, it's inevitable. Um, so I, I, you know, they, they do it in an interesting enough way that like I kind of said before, it, it comes from within. It's not that, the Federation is saying you have to change and we're going to force you to change. It's yeah. 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 It's kind of a natural evolution. And in that way, it feels, it feels like a good progression and it feels like a natural and realistic progression, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. you know, and one that, you know, generally when societies change themselves, it sticks. Right. So I feel like uh, this is something that was well done and, you know, going forward, I, I would actually like to see more stories set on Ferenginar, you know, checking in with the ROM government every few years and see how that's going, mm. you know. I found it interesting because I, I do feel like that this is the part of the story. It, it is very on the nose, um, mm -hmm. everything they're kind of talking about. But I, I think it is really interesting because I, I actually do kind of wonder are we doing the right thing by kind of sanitizing the Ferengi? And I'm not, I'm not defending what they believe in. I'm just asking, does that make sense in the Star Trek universe? Mm -hmm. um, because I, you know, I love the storyline that they're, they're seeing the era of their ways and all of that. But I'm, I'm just kind of wondering, does it completely make sense for the Star Trek storyline to have all the aliens basically just adopt what we believe as the Federation, and when I, when I say we, as opposed to there being more of an idic, mm. where it really is truly infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And, and that, to me, is always an interesting question because more and more it kind of seems like, um, you know, as it goes along, 
people like the Ferengi just turn into people like the Federation instead of the other way around. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so um, it created an interesting dilemma for me as you watch Ferenginar's culture completely start to almost go through. I mean, they're, I would say, a little bit more at the process that we're kind of at, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's that's good for the way that Star Trek uses stories to, to tell us a, a moral meaning or message. But I, I guess I was just thinking more in universe. Right. And I mean, you know, that kind of comes back to what I was talking about before that, you know, this fundamental change over a few short years does seem a little bit unrealistic. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. that that they've changed so fundamentally. Um, and I think, you know, the most important thing is kind of what we talked about with Quark's character, for example, was, you know, make sure you don't change too much. Yeah, You know, so definitely. don't change the fundamental core of what it means to be Ferengi. And again, I'm thinking back to, and, and again, generally not a good episode, Profit and Lace, but where Quark's trying to convince the businessman why it would be a good idea to allow women to wear clothing. And, you know, the fact that he frames it in a, you know, it'll be good for the economy. You know, we have, you know, twice as many people willing to buy things now. Uh, So, you know, framing a change like that, but still within the cultural definitions of Ferengi society, you know, kind of keeps that character a little bit. So, yeah, maybe it's a little problematic to think they're becoming more like us and that's a good thing. But, you know, you still want to keep that unique Ferengi character. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it is a balancing act for sure. And it does feel a little bit like um, almost a bit of cultural imperialism to say, you know, this is the best way to do things. And look, they're starting to become more like us. So that's good. I don't know. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, and it's what makes it so hard is obviously that... <laughs> The Ferengi beliefs about so many things like that are so abhorrent, you know, mm. uh, about the way they treat women. I mean, it's just, it's horrendous. You yeah, know? I mean, there's nothing utterly you ridiculous. can say about it at all. Yeah. <laughs> <There's>, no. <laughs> and, and the way that they do conduct their capitalism is the worst kind of, you know, crony capitalism possible. It's, it's, it's the mm. worst version of capitalism that is completely driven by nothing but greed. You know, they are the very definition of Gordon Gecko's the greed is good, you know. <laughs> and so in that sense, they are very much of that, the Wall Street of the 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that part is, it that it's just a good reminder for us, you know. And so for me, the question about whether they're being sanitized, it's almost like, but I kind of need the Ferengi to be a little bit more Ferengi-ish so I can keep being reminded that there's a bad way to, to mm. do what we do now. You know, yeah. there is a really bad way to do that. And there's a good way to do it too. And we need to be reminded about which is which. And the Ferengi, yes, it's on the nose, but it does a great job of, of uh, keeping us honest about how we really treat people and business and that kind of stuff. So... For those morals, meanings, and messages to keep happening through the Ferengi, I guess we definitely need them to continue to be behind us quite a bit. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So that, yeah. so that as they change, we can continue to, to learn the lessons from them. So it'll be interesting, really. I think as the Deep Space Nine relaunches has come back a little bit, I'm really interested to, to see how they kind of deal with the Ferengi at all. Because... You know, really haven't, you know, with the Typhon Pact and all that stuff. The Ferengi haven't been an important storyline whatsoever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, They sent ships uh, into the the war with the Borg during Destiny and stuff like that, just like everybody else. But they haven't really been a huge impact, you know, I I feel like since this book, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I said, I I would really like a check-in with them, you know. In a hundred years, are the Ferengi going to be a more evolved, quote unquote, society? Or is, you know, the the reign of, of Grand Negus Rom going to be this dark period of 
Ferengi history where they experimented with equality and decided against the whole thing, you know. Uh, Before I, the dark times. Before <laughs> Rom. Exactly. I think just as, yeah, there was a, there was a, offhand mention in an episode of deep space nine about the Klingons one uh, experiment with representative democracy being referred to as the dark times or something like that. It <laughs> <laughs> was great. <laughs> so, you know, will this be the Ferengi's dark times? Uh, I hope not. Yeah, that's but, a good question. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I definitely think that this is something that would be interesting to follow up with and kind of see where the Ferengi are in the Star Trek story now because mm-hmm. it is a it is an interesting move that's made here and it's baby steps. You know, I mean they're taking baby steps into the elevator, baby steps out of the elevator, you know. I mean, they're what about Bob here? <laughs> um and it is really about it's about baby steps. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I think that keeps the, the storylines able to to push us forward too. So what would you rate satisfaction is not guaranteed? Well, like I said, I really enjoyed this story. Um, I thought in the tradition of the best Ferengi episodes of Deep Space Nine, it was, you know, a lighter story, but, you know, maybe not light for the Ferengi. Uh, but generally speaking, within the whole series, you know, a lighter story that kind of took a break from some of the galaxy shattering events and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I would have to give this probably four out of five. I'm going to go with bars of gold-pressed latinum. For me, this is a good story. Um, I, I like it. Uh, it's not It's not my favorite in the, the Deep Space Nine relaunch, for sure. And uh, But I, th- I think that just us talking about it, it, it does enough with the Ferengi to make it interesting in how they're changing and why they're changing. And, and I think that's a really, it's worthwhile to read that. And, and it, so for me, this is a three Ferengi bounty hunter book. <laughs> so uh, out of five, so definitely worth checking out. And, you know, I think it's, it's a better story than the Andor story. So it's really is worth your time to check this one out. Well, Matthew, I mean, you know, we talked about profit. We pr- talked about profit and lace more than we probably should have. <laughs> but all in all, I think that was a pretty good discussion about the uh, worlds of Deep Space Nine. Satisfaction is not guaranteed. Uh, you know, a lot of discussion of one of my favorite characters, Quark. I had a lot of fun tonight. Well, I'd say that it was a profitable conversation that we had. <laughs> um, the we definitely kept our end of the bargain up, and so hopefully satisfaction is guaranteed with this episode of Literary Treks for you. Um, but yeah, it was really fun getting to talk about this. You know, I love getting to go through this Deep Space Nine relaunch with just the fact that you know, this is really my first big, huge dive into Star Trek books, and it's really what got me interested in continuing on with them is how they did this relaunch, and so... With us getting into Olympus Descending next, and then, of course, Warpath, and then you have Fearful Symmetry, and then, of course, Soul Key. I'm really interested to see how this rounds out, and especially as we're making our way towards the end of the year when David or George III's Ascendants will come out, and we'll definitely kind of pick up the story where we've left off. And so it'll be very nice to finally have that wrapped up. Um, and then hopefully... Next year, we'll see where we go next with Deep Space Nine too. Um, so yeah, that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely, and and it's interesting to kind of finally be back in the place like this is what got me into Star Trek books, and at the same time, we're back here again, and we're about to wrap up a story that's been waiting to be told for quite some time. So it's it's nice that we're finally here. Um, I'm really excited about that. Should uh, record one of those big final chapter spots it all comes down to this sunday 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 (laughs) finally ascendance (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) oh man well don't forget that you can check out all the shows at itunes.com slash trek fm that we've got for you when you're on itunes we love for you to give us a star rating and review Really appreciate that. It obviously makes it easier for the listeners to find us in iTunes. 
And also keeps us up in those iTunes rankings. So when people are looking at new podcasts to listen to, they'll see Literary Treks and they'll want to listen. Um, and then, of course, we're everywhere else. And, of course, at the website at trek.fm. I would love to thank our associate producers who bring this show to you each week with their support of the network through Patreon. We'll win and can trip. These guys are fantastic. I love that they support the show every week and they make sure that Literary Treks comes to you. We can keep interviewing the authors and um, this is a hard thing to do. You know, running a network like this costs a lot of money. We have bandwidth costs. We have software costs. We've got program costs we've got storage space costs online and just natively in our homes lots of costs do go into running this and we want to keep doing it for you we want to keep bringing you the content so just go to patreon.com slash trek fm and see how you can be part of the team and help this network keep thriving it's because of you guys the best listeners out there in podcasts you keep this network running we need your help be sure you go over to patreon.com slash trek.fm and see how you can do that. Now, Dan, when you're not sitting around in the Ferengi spaceport waiting to leave, chugging a sluggo cola, where can we find you? <laughs> well, Matthew, you can find me online. Uh, my website, www.treklit.com, is where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash treklitreviews. On Twitter, at Treklet Reviews, and uh, also my other Twitter account, at uh, Kurtrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And you can also find me on Instagram. Uh, my username on Instagram is Kurtrats47. And, uh, you know, right now I've got a bunch of pictures of some of the Star Trek Eagle Moss models that I've been getting. Oh, so, nice. Yeah, some pretty cool... Uh, man, you take that Ferengi Marauder and throw a really cool filter on that, that orange just pops. and uh matthew when you're not desperately searching your pockets for a strip of latinum because man you just really want to use the elevator instead of the stairs where can we find you (sighs) just getting lazy (laughs) yep well you can find me on twitter at matt rushing zero two i am also on instagram i'm at m rushing you can find me doing the orb if you enjoy listening to us talk about Deep Space Nine here on Literary Treks, we do that exclusively on Trek FM's own Deep Space Nine podcast, The Orb. I do that with Christopher Jones. It's so much fun. I'm also on the 602 Club. It's a great place. You just hear about all the different geeky topics. We've got new movies, old movies. We've got so much we're doing. Uh, we'd love to introduce you to some things maybe you've never tried before. Check out the 602 Club. It's a lot of fun. I also have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. You can find all my book reviews that I do there, uh, movie reviews, and just other things that are important to me. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, live long and read on. What do you call that light reading? To each his own, number one. <laughs>